Hi, James. Ben, how are you? Uh, I'm good. I'm, I'm a little. I'm a little worried. Uh, I have a. It, we're recording earlier than usual, um, which is not my fault. <laughs> it's my fault. Yes, I'm in New York. I'm sorry. Yes. So you're, that's fine. You're the one traveling now. Um, but the problem is that because it's early, there are a, a lot of kids around the house, um, both mine and their cousins. So, so we're going to have some. Get, finally, have some guest appearances on Exponent. <laughs> <laughs> perhaps, perhaps. Uh, I, they, they might, they might take him to the playground or something. Uh, although it's pretty toasty here. Um, so I apologize in advance for any uh, interruptions that may or may not occur. I, I don't know. I find it all very endearing. I'm not. I don't know yeah, whether well, you, you find you, it endearing uh, having to deal uh, with it, but uh, <laughs> hearing all the kids in the background, I, I love it. All our listeners are telling you to uh, speak for yourself. Uh, okay. Well, that, that's what I get to do on this podcast, actually. Uh, exactly. exactly. <laughs> that's, that's the whole point. Um, so uh, there is some uh, uh, sad news. Uh, mm. um, yeah, it's sad. Very sad. Uh, w- we will uh, not be on a, uh, I think the generous way to put it is we will not be on a regular schedule for the next uh, two Two months or so. Mm. Um, so I, I will be, uh, me and my family will be uh, traveling primarily to, to, to the grandparents' house um, over the summer. I will still be working. I'll still be doing the daily update and things like that. But given um, that our schedules will be pretty disrupted and we'll be moving around, it's going to be very difficult for uh, me to keep up to keep up the podcast. Um, so the podcast is not dying. It's just uh, resting, taking and, a bit of a summer break. Yeah, summer break. That's a nice way of putting it. And it sounds like you're taking a bit of a summer break, which I'm sure you very much deserve. Well, I mean, it depends how you put it. I mean, I'm, I still plan on doing the full the full four daily updates plus a weekly article. Um, this is just kind of the, something has to give. And yeah. um, this is it's funny. If you think about the sort of incentive thing, this is the downside. I know, I know people... Uh, like it we don't have advertisements and stuff like that but this is arguably the downside because there's you know if something has to give it's going to be the thing that that it's, is free mm, yeah um such is life yeah well it's, it's interesting i think people don't always think through um it's just an ex- interesting example of how incentives play out in surprising ways mm. um so i think uh so right now our we don't have plans for uh follow-on episodes episodes i think the what we will do is we'll post a couple old favorites just to mm. keep the feed alive especially because uh unfortunately apple's podcast app will just like delete you if you don't keep the feed fresh yeah uh and then uh, ideally we'll get one or two episodes in over the summer uh but it you know we can't can't say for sure when it will be we have to in a word this is episode 49 so it'd be nice to hit the half century the half we'll century a, uh, yes yeah like we have like a summer spectacular <laughs> very good yeah, I think probably if something really big and momentous happens, it'll be hard to resist. Yeah, that's right. And the opportunity, I'll I'll be I'll be annoying you so much on iMessage, you'll just be like, leave me alone, just call me. <laughs> so, exactly, exactly. So, uh, anyhow, uh, I presume most of our listeners are are subscribed through a podcast uh, uh, app. If you're not, I would suggest you do that. Then you'll be notified when the next one drops. Um, Otherwise, uh, stay tuned and, and we'll let you know and appreciate the patience. We will absolutely 100% be, be back uh, on a regular weekly schedule uh, in the fall. And um, yeah, so just stay tuned. Mm. Very good. Uh, so with that out of the way, 
Um, and speaking of uh, potentially bad news, uh, there oh. was. Uh, <laughs> I'm resisting perhaps, the urge to mention the segue, and I just failed again. <laughs> perhaps, perhaps <laughs> a- appropriately enough, uh, given this podcast, uh, we can close out the year talking about everyone's favorite company, uh, which is Uber. Uber. Uber, Uber, Uber. Um, Someone just won on exponent bingo there. Yeah, early, early, an early victory. Uh, so uh, the big news is um, a California a California court said an Uber driver is an employee, not not a contractor. And so this is uh, this is something we've touched on previously. Um, so their 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 big justification was uh, because Uber has has so much control. Uh, over kind of her working conditions, particularly how much it's charged, mm. uh, that it's it's clear that she's an employee. Um, I, you know, as we've talked about, I think this is a much more. This is by no means black and white, to say the least. Right. I, I, I mean, I, I would agree with this. I, I'm not sure it was actually a court. I think it was a, the California Labor Commission. You're right. You're right. And it's it's non-binding, and apparently it only applies to a single driver. I'm reading this off Uber's blog right now. So whether this is the whether this is the big thing or not, it's certainly though a very good reminder the extent to which uh, this this model and a number of other models that are the Uber for X are based around uh, the assumption that it's not going to be full employment. And uh, I I mean. I can't imagine it would sink the company. I, I don't know. I can't, maybe it would, but like if, if everyone who is a driver for Uber switches to an employee, it's certainly going to impact that $41 billion uh, valuation that they just raised. It's, um, it's, yeah, it, it could have a really big impact and there's so much momentum behind the company. It's so easy to forget that that the the legislative the not the legislative the judicial um rulings on this stuff could end up having a really 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 big impact on the company see i i don't get that i and i think the pessimism and the like the overwrought reaction on is way way out of control on, hmm. on twitter today um the, and <laughs> i think fueled by people wanting it to be true uh more than anything uh the reality in my estimation is that were were this to go beyond being non-binding to a single employee, as you correctly noted and, and become the the law of the land, as it were uh, the reality is, is Uber's will become more dominant, not less Uh, right now. An employee uh, or a contractor, I should say can have a phone in his car for Uber and one for Lyft or one for any other, other services. And this is particularly I think not just in the U.S. is Lyft, but in other countries in Asia and stuff like that, uh, where there's Grab Taxi and and, and various competitors, mm. um, and they can do that because Uber can't tell them what to do, right? Because they're contractors. Uh, once they are Uber employees, Uber's control over them becomes significantly greater. And I think people are forgetting the fact that people are selecting into these jobs. Uber's not making anyone take this job. So I don't know why we would expect that people would stop taking the jobs just because, I mean, it, there, there's a big missing hole in a lot of this argument that, that, that Uber's going to be screwed. In my estimation, it locks in the Uber monopoly in areas where they're dominant. Uh, 
And on the flip side, it makes the service worse, arguably, because it's going to be much more harder to have the sort of you know surge pricing and response response and demand. Um, again, we get into specifics about whether it's better or not worse for employees. But as far as Uber, the company, I don't see any reason why this makes them in particular, uh, you know, like kills off that valuation. I, I mean, I think the valuation is not about having contractors. It's about the idea of being kind of the fabric, the logistical fabric for, for the world. Uh, particularly if we ever get to self-driving cars on sort of stuff. I mean, I just don't see how that it really changes. It's interesting. I, I, and I'm, I'm, I had been on the side of folks, or I, I had had the opinion that, uh, that this was a bad thing for them, that p- part of their model relies on flexibility, things like the surge pricing and being able to kick drivers off the network if they don't deliver a good enough experience. I mean, once you start getting to employee status, uh, you, you, you start to get into territory similar to uh, uh, not, not the same, but similar to the medallions where, you know, um, like a driver is assumed to continue to be a driver as opposed to it, it, like right now, it's just much easier for Uber to get rid of people if they don't deliver great experiences. But I guess the question I have is if, if this could be, if there's that much potential benefit to the company, then why haven't they attempted to do this? Why, why are they instead fighting the, the courts, fighting everywhere to ensure that they can keep people? And, and I, my understanding is lobbying pretty hard behind the scenes as well to keep people as contractors. The current system has advantages as well. Just because I point out that they will not be screwed under an alternative mm. system doesn't mean the alternative system is better. I mean, all the advantages of the current system, the flexibility, the the significantly better cost structure and, you know, the leverage they have on their money is way better in the current system. No question it's better. Mm. My only point is that the company isn't screwed if this goes away. The companies that are screwed are all the second and third place guys. Like, mm. they're done. They have no chance. Uh, you know, WIFT is worth zero if this if this goes through. Um, I'd argue it probably is anyway but in but for sure it is in this case uh that's my point it's it's not to say that it's better mm. um no it is worse but it's not devastating to the degree that a lot of people seem to think it is at least in my estimation that's fair i that that's fair i um uh i wasn't well i probably did make it a little binary but i i did say well, I felt like I said it may or may not be the end of the company, but it would put a dent in that big valuation that they had up front. I, I get the consternation. And for sure, like I think it does hurt them. So to be clear, my mm. only point is that I think it it's not as bad as it could be. And frankly, uh, I think this is a bad thing from a societal perspective. Yeah. I, I, I mean, yep. th- this, this whole – I, I think a lot of the criticism of Uber and drivers and all this stuff is just really – disingenuous and it's the what i mean by disingenuous it's not intentionally so it's that if you if you criticize something without thinking about the alternatives then it's not valid criticism it's just it's just like sitting in the cheap seats and you know <laughs> yelling yelling your head off like the re, again uber's not making people take these jobs you have to think about what would these drivers be doing if they weren't driving for uber and that's the context you need to think through the Uber labor issues. Again, not saying they're training people great, but you can't sit here and say they should, you know, they should do something above and beyond what 
what the market dictates when the alternative is what working at McDonald's, being a janitor, uh, or particularly for the people who do use Uber part time to supplement their income or whatever, like what job gives you the sort of flexibility where you can literally oh, I have two hours for you. I mean, earn a couple of bucks like that's actually that's pretty compelling. And there to date haven't been other jobs like that. I totally agree. It, it's funny. I, I came at it with the same reaction, but uh, but from a, a, a slightly different perspective, which is this: this for me is really reinforcing this very artificial distinction between full time work and contracting work. And I, I think it's something we've talked about previously, whereby if if <laughs> Like employment is right now very different from what it is 50 years ago. And this distinction of a full-time worker versus a part-time worker versus a contractor made much more sense way back when. And it's starting to make a lot less sense now. And the the, the way that the laws are written and the, regu- the regulations are written in order to distinguish this based on whether an employer needs to provide healthcare benefits or not, it, it's just... All this stuff is is exposing how antiquated that kind of thinking is. And rather than targeting the frustrations at the company, I, 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 and again, maybe this is this is a, a cultural uh, a cultural uh, like like my cultural history talking, but it, it's like, shouldn't you be directing it at the government such that if these people want to take these jobs, like it's not the company's fault. It's like they're just complying with the laws. If you don't like the way the laws are written, then change the laws. Well, I'd, I'd put it slightly different. I mean, the, the, the big issue with being a contract worker versus being a full-time employee, I think, comes down to benefits in particular. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I mean, there, there, so there's a few things. One is the, the idea that you can be driving around in Uber and you're only paid when you're actually on the clock, even though you're technically working the rest of the time. Mm. And that's a very fair criticism, I think. If if a, a fair focus would be that if you're logged into the Uber app, there's you know should you be being paid or something like I, I can see the angle there, but there's a second angle which is like oh they're they're not getting unemployment compensation or they're not getting or or, or worker disability or um, health insurance mm-hmm. is certainly a big one and the reality is the very premise of this debate is absurd. Because why should it be Uber's responsibility or any employer's responsibility to provide this? Yeah. The fact of the matter is the U.S.'s healthcare system and benefit system is a joke. I mean, it's ridiculous that we're per, that we're counting on employers yeah. to provide a societal benefit, and it's so distortive. It hurts entrepreneurship. Like I, I, I've written before, I wrote I wrote an article. Don't blame Uber. The point was not to defend Uber. It was to say like. This whole system is screwed up. Like I, a big reason I could start Shatekery was because I was in Taiwan, which has public health care, and I didn't need to worry about paying like four or five thousand dollars a month or whatever it is for my family to be insured. Like that would have made this. Like I talk, I wax poetic about bootstrapping and like making it a go on yourself. You know what makes it really hard to do that? Paying thousands of dollars a month for health insurance. And, and and again, escaping the fa- this isn't being selfish and saying oh, I deserve health insurance. I deserve something. The reality is the economics of health insurance are such that it ought to be socialized. Like we've talked about this before. Mm. Like it, people people will you can't predict like you can't predict these massive outlays of costs that come up when you get sick or whatever. Which which the most equitable thing is everyone pays an equal share. Does that mean healthy people pay more than they get out? It does. But that's the price of living in a civilized society and the fact that people are unwilling and so uh, like 
militant about not paying it is really frustrating. I agree. It's, Sorry, it's, that was that was that was a lot. No, 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 no. But I, I mean, I, I think it's entirely fair. I, I think the frustration is warranted, and I share it. Um, I, I, yeah, you know, one of the things I love about uh, love about being in the U.S. is the entrepreneurial spirit um, that so many folks inside the country have, and. Um, when this topic comes up, it's like, yeah, this is this is baked into the culture of the country. You know, pick yourself up by its by your bootstraps, and I, I, I think I think it's a fantastic a fantastic attribute to have. Um, I, the, what frustrates me is is the, the you wonder how much more entrepreneurial activity you would have with a little bit of sensible policy around this such that people didn't feel afraid to leave their jobs because they're going to lose their health care. It just it, it it seems so obvious to me and yet the 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 debate carries on. And the, yeah, no totally. And the the other thing that that concerns me about people's focus on uber and these other sort of jobs is let's be let's be frank they're not great jobs like driving around a car all day and like there's lots of problems with it and so i'm by no means mean to sugarcoat it and be an uber defender or whatever people describe me as and nothing gets us more angry emails to talk about uber on this podcast and so it's (laughs) nice that we're going out on such a such a positive note um but the we you have to back up and look at a very big picture what's happening and what's happening is technology is like the technology world spent 30 years basically eating itself and building these these companies that are just mm. unbelievable. Like a company like Microsoft, which just did a reorg today, we view at it in technology as being slow moving and behind the times. And the reality is they would be the most dynamic, fastest moving company in almost any other sector of the technology. Mm. Right. And so we, there's this this attitude, the way that business is done, that's that's really kind of awesome in a like incredible sort of sense when you know when you think about business as a whole and now this industry is turning its eyes on all these other industries that are just sitting ducks right mm. and the taxi industry had no idea how to respond to uber i mean the the hotel industry had no idea how to respond to airbnb like all these industries are just like this is just the start of completely remaking basically these market makers that go in and directly connect suppliers to demand the customers to whatever is providing it, and they make a market in the middle. And it has these winner-take-all characteristics where you get these monopoly sort of companies that are going to be incredibly valuable. We can talk about my unicorn article in, in, in a little bit. But the 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 flip side of that is all these established industries are just going to be decimated, mm. and people are going to need work. They're going to be out of a job. Now, I think in the long run, this will be a net benefit, right? More productivity in the long run. That's how you increase GDP. It's how you increase wealth per person. But – that's when like our children and like the people who are in their 20s now, like they're they're coming up in a world where they are equipped to compete and equipped to compete, not just because of education. Or, I mean, we can talk about our education system, but they've been living in in the Internet world, in the computer world, in this world where this is the norm. This is the expectation of how things work. The problem, though, is we have like technology is changing these industries very rapidly but generational change takes years, if not decades. So you have this whole swath of people, and we already saw this. I'm from the Midwest. You can see it up close. Like all these people who work in factories, and they've worked in factories for generations, and boom, suddenly it's gone. Like what, what do we do with these folks? And I don't mean that in a condescending way. I mean that in a very empathetic, if you've been doing one thing your whole life and you counted on it and it's totally gone, like what do you do? Like where's 
What job do you do? Where's the dignity of work? And yeah, criticize Uber all you want, but but like I think there's an aspect we need these sorts of jobs. We need to tide us over to a world where pe- where the the working population is ready for this kind of new new environment. And again, I say this as a tech optimist, but mm. you're you're being blind if you don't appreciate the devastation that is happening and is going to continue to happen to normal folks who won't even know what hit them. Yeah. And like that gets back to like people aren't forcing anyone to take these Uber jobs or these or these Airbnb jobs. And are they are they do they pay not enough on on a kind of you utopian nothing else in the world basis probably not are do they suck yeah probably but they're sure better than not having anything yeah i it's it's funny because i i, I mean i i i agree with that um i agree i mean i i i, t- I use uber all the time i think i might be the only person living in the san francisco bay area that doesn't own a car and I just, I use Uber to get everywhere. And I talk to a lot of these folks and it's really interesting. Some of them are clearly like a little bit bitter about having to do it, but you'd be amazed at the number of people that really, really enjoy getting out, getting in their cars. They enjoy driving. They enjoy meeting new people. Um, Enjoy having a job. Yeah. Like there's, there's, there's a lot of satisfaction that comes from it. Like, um, so, so knocking it in that sense, um, I, I completely agree with you. Now, the idea of equip, like people will be equipped in the future, I, I hope that's true. I may be a little bit more pessimistic than you in that, that I see the trend, uh, continuing, not abating, where, uh, there are, there are more and more gains, at, uh, accruing to fewer and fewer people. And there are the, the people that are left on the wrong side of the divide get less and less. Like if we play this out to the way, the point at which there are self-driving cars, uh, I start to worry because there aren't any jobs left at that point. What do we do with all the folks that have, that have been doing things like driving the Uber then? And I'm hoping there are replacements. And it's something we've talked about, this notion of the, the, the big, um, organizations that are in the rainforest that are up the top with a big canopy and then a rich forest floor. But I, I wonder if when when that divide happens, there's going to be enough at both levels for everybody that was spread everywhere previously. Like I, I'm I'm not as convinced about that. One last point on something you said though, which is like these these old companies don't know how to react to uh, the the tech companies. I think from a business model perspective, that's correct. But I do think that they have one thing right, which, well, I don't know if right is actually the best word to use, but th- they have taken one approach that's been quite effective. And it, it speaks to the the issue that we started with around the, the healthcare system being broken. And that is like to, to effectively go for regulatory arbitrage. Like if you're an incumbent and you see something like this happening and you realize that you can't compete on a business model basis, then there's probably a regulatory approach that you can, that you can take that's pretty effective. And I actually wonder if you're inside a big company and you see a ruling like this today, it's, uh, I mean, I think, I think it's, it's crazy. And my initial reaction is look at all the ways in which the system is broken. I actually wonder whether someone inside an incumbent organization thinking about this big picture is like, well, you know what, the, keeping the system broken actually works in my best interest. And I'm happy to see it broken because, uh, in a world where, um, 
in a world where uh, healthcare is provided for by the government, then you'd, you'd start to see a lot more people migrate towards these entrepreneurial ventures. You'd see a lot more threats emerging and attacking my business model. Oh, well, I think that's that's just a fundamental law of human nature. I mean, the, the, I mean, or of company culture, I should say, mm. right? I mean, everyone hates regulations uh, publicly, but the ones who are most acclimated and most adjusted to them uh, actually are heavily incentivized to 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 keep with them, right? And they and and what's funny is the language is totally reasonable, right? You 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 hear this with Uber all the time with all these things. We've we we follow the regulations. We invest a lot of time, a lot of training to go along with these. It's not fair that they don't get to follow it, and it isn't fair. Right. Mm. It, it's it, it's also not fair, though, that incumbent companies have relationships, have lobbying power, have legal departments, have entire apparatus set up mm. to navigate a regulatory system that a startup is totally outside the loop. in. again, Uber calling Uber a startup when they're worth forty five billion dollars is, is a stretch. But the point <laughs> remains that life isn't fair and it's not fair on both sides. And it's not fair in different ways. And I think it's. Mm. A question we need to ask as a society, and you can see this question play out and the answers play out in different ways all around the world. Do you think about Europe versus America versus China, which we've talked about, is what value do we place on on maintaining versus breaking? Mm. And and there's trade-offs that come with that. Make no mistake. Like I'm not here to paint a Pollyannish vision to say that, oh, disruption, disruption, break companies, do new things isn't going to hurt people. It is. It really is. But I mean, I just I think there's an aspect of getting from here to there. And again, I I, I almost feel bad saying all this. It's easy for me to sit here. Right. Right. Like I'm doing pretty well for myself. I get to sit on my rear end in my in my house. And my biggest complaint is that my kids who I get to see constantly because I work from home are being too noisy. Right. I live a very blessed life. I, I, I get that. And it's it's and I get the consternation with people like me sitting around and saying it's going to be better for everyone in the long run. And your point that maybe it will be, maybe it won't be is is a fair one. Um, but I mean, I also think that stagnation is is hardly the answer. Oh, I, I mean, I agree. I, I think America has been the beneficiary of so many. I mean. Uh, yeah, of all the societies out there, it's been the one that's been most willing to embrace creative destruction. It's been the most willing to see uh, to see upstarts tear down incumbents and build something even better, and it's almost encouraged it. What's troubling is it it feels like that's starting to slow, or it feels like that that the ability for the upstarts to 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 do this is becoming harder, and it and, and maybe it. <laughs> Maybe we don't quite have the perspective yet to be able to tell for sure because we're living it. Whereas, whereas reading about it uh, in in the past, like it, it it felt like it was easier when you see history written down. But it, it does. I mean, just the way that the and and I know I'm going back to my pet topic. The money in politics thing is playing out. It feels like it's becoming an ever more important thing um, in order to get reelected, which is leaving. Uh, leaving the society exposed to incumbents being able to stifle disruptive innovation. And 
And I, I totally agree with you around, yes, disruption comes with pain. Though that being said, I, and I'm going to try and dig it out, I actually saw an article um, during the week saying that people that lived in cities that had a greater degree of disruption were actually on balance happier than people who lived in cities where that wasn't the case. And maybe it has to do with optimism about the future. It was difficult to untangle the causality. But your point around, yeah, it's easy for us to sit around and say it's going to be better in 10 years' time when this all plays out is easy for us to say when we are um, uh, <laughs> walled off from the phenomenon. And there, there are people's lives that that get really shaken up as this as this process plays out no to- absolutely and you know i think your point about it's you look back with inherently rose-colored glasses is is spot on i mean i've made the point previously we've talked about that what what is happening now is i believe akin to the industrial revolution like the fun which fundamentally reshape every aspect of society from mm. governance to to the organization to geography to where i mean by where people live demographics like all everything Everything was transformed. And uh, and if you wanted to be a labor advocate, that was a great time to be a labor advocate. And there were advocates because the conditions were horrendous. Mm. And 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 this is almost like you almost like honestly, it feels it it feels wrong in a way to look back and say people today have a massively higher standard of living and all the people who were taken advantage of and abused and died in these sweatshops, it was worth it. But you back far enough back and like, isn't that the only conclusion you can draw? Yeah. I, 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 yes. Uh, but again, it, it wasn't us that, right. that, that gave up our lives in order for someone else 200 years later to be able to say oh well well i'm you know i'm 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 glad you <laughs> you made this sacrifice so i i can be here talking about this right now as we undertake one of these other things you know yeah i, I think w- one thing that that i'm really interested about um is the degree to which and we, i think we've touched on this the degree to which uh we get a decoupling of kind of economic indicators and and measurement from like actual societal happiness and that sort of thing. Um, I, I think about a country like, like Taiwan and uh, really came into its own and was driven by the PC, like the PC. I mean, like PC central, all the parts of what were made here, the actual mm. computers were made here. Like um, uh, I was talking to horse. I think I mentioned the podcast, I was talking to horse edge one time. He talked about how every city uh, retains the character and appearance of its like most thriving period mm-hmm. so so london looks like the victorian era uh paris looks like the the napoleonic era uh new york was like the roaring 20s um and taipei you said taipei looks like the 90s and it in many respects it does and that's when things were thriving like uh, there's lots of expats here uh everyone was making money um and today it's it's different like all all the money's in china all the talents in china uh it's the wages have stagnated. Um, I mean, unemployment is is still pretty good. It's higher than it's traditionally been, but compared to you know, you know anywhere in the West, it's it's, it's very good. Mm. And and people are really angsty about it and worried about it. And in the meantime, um, there's been this kind of flowering of this kind of subculture, like coffee shop culture, whatever you want to call it. Like there's these little shops. Every like everyone's dream is to open a little shop, like a, whether it be a coffee shop, whether it be a little clothing store, whether it be an art gallery. 
And like, it's actually made it a pretty fantastic place to live for mm. me. Right. Uh, because I don't need to worry about getting a job here. And cause all the expat jobs are mostly gone. Um, but meanwhile, there's all these little shops everywhere and you can just go on a, on a, on a Saturday afternoon and, you know, just hang out. And what's funny is according to economic indicators, uh, Taiwan is doing worse than it has in the last 20, 25 years. From a quality of life indicator, uh, it's better than it's ever been. And I've been here, you know, I've been here since 2003. So I, I can, I feel like I can say that relatively authoritatively. Mm. And what's, what's interesting is um, you talk about in the future, how's it going to play out and the way it plays, to what extent do the, the basics of life get taken care of to the extent of that we can actually focus on coffee shops and art shops. Mm. I mean, it sounds very, I almost feel silly saying it sounds so utopian and, and silly, but I'm actually kind of witnessing it. Mm. Well, you know what they say about economists? They know the price of everything and the value of nothing. Um, I, I, the way I think about this, uh, and this is again another topic that we've touched on, is, is the nested nature of the world. And I think about um, economics versus happiness of a society in kind of a similar way that I think about motivation theory within a human being. Um, like the research that I've dug into on motivation suggests that like the way we think about it is two separate spectrums. We have extrinsic factors, which are things like money and prestige and whatever, like when we go for a job that, that, uh, that are important. And then we have more intrinsic factors, which are like whether the work is meaningful, um, whether we're learning, whether we're getting the ability to shoulder responsibility. And uh, like the extrinsic facts. So I used to think it used to be this one long continuous spectrum all the way from highly unmotivated to like truly motivated. It turns out that our minds work on two separate spectrums. Like the extrinsic factors affect whether we feel unhappy. And if they're, if they're present, it's not that we're happy. There's just an absence of unhappiness. And the intrinsic motivators affect whether we're happy or not. And so if they're absent, there's an absence of happiness. But if they're present, you feel good. So they can work in completely opposite ways. And I kind of think about economics as as the societal, like the economic factors that you're talking about, as the societal equivalent of the extrinsic um factors. So it's necessary to have a certain baseline to make sure that people are able to look after themselves so they can put a roof over their head, they have a job, they have healthcare. But but quote unquote the best economic performance doesn't necessarily make people happy. And there's a whole spectrum of stuff that 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 uh, maps more to the motivators, stuff like uh, Bhutan is most well known for the gross national happiness index. Um, which is which is measuring an entirely different set of factors. So I would agree. Uh, what what you've said um, around what you've observed with Taiwan makes sense to me uh, because of the way that I think about those two things separately. I, I think they can absolutely be reconciled. Uh, that's spot on. I think that 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 really that really nails it. Because I mean, Taiwan is is rich. I mean, relative to many places in the world. I mean, it's it's very well developed. There's Great infrastructure, you know, every, you know, there's health insurance, all those sorts of things, and yeah, and that gives you more latitude to 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 grow in in the other in the other areas. I, I think that's really fascinating, and I think that might inside of that is the hint about why you can still be optimistic about the future. Mm. You know, if you think about a world where 
there are self-driving cars. There's all automation for all sorts of drudgery that we do today. The removal of that drudgery certainly has to have some sort of value from an intrinsic fashion, no? Yeah, no, I totally agree. I, I guess what worries me is the extrinsic factors, the money, it still matters. And and it, the problem is it's not evenly distributed. It's so, so economic indicators typically look at averages. They, they look at GDP per capita or something like that. But it's not until you dig into things like Gini coefficients, which measure inequality in a society, that that really comes to life. Because your GDP per capita could be going up. But what I'm worried about is that, the, that what's driving that growth is accruing to fewer and fewer people. Um, now, if if you're in a place that's a little bit more progressive like Taiwan, where healthcare is provided for everybody, that's mitigated. But thinking about it in the case of the United States, where it's not, where people's healthcare are dependent on their employment, they lose their employment, they have no money coming in, there's a limited social safety net. That's where I start to get a little bit more concerned. Right. I completely agree. And that that is that's where the angst should be focused on is our sclerotic political system and this kind of attitude that's more from a healthy sort of liber you know liberty like let me take care of myself thing to this militant anti-government like over the topness that that doesn't square not only with where we've been as a society but absolutely for where we're going i 100 percent agree uh, you'll get no argument out of me on this. What you just described is the perfect articulation of my source of pessimism. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting. I mean, the, the other thing that I mean, you, I know you're on the money and politics thing, but I mean, I think um, you know, I'm going to pull the "you're not an American" card. Uh, <laughs> there's an aspect of this that is not about the money and politics. Like, there's this. There is this sort of uh, first off, I think in Americans generally, there's there's a deep rooted skepticism of government, which can be healthy again. Um, but then you combine that with uh, these various subgroups um, that that for whatever reason feel they've always been put upon, uh, that the world's out to get them, a bit of paranoia. Um, you certainly have a. Uh, yeah, kind of a persecution complex in many respects. And this can be the South about the Civil War, about whatever it might be. It can be uh, Christians, fundamentalist Christians. Again, this is where I grew up, where the, you know the government's trying to you know stamp out religion and want us pray. And like it's really over. I mean, there's this thing in Texas over the last couple of weeks where the government was doing routine military exercises, and it's been spun up in talk radio as the government's looking to invade Texas, and like people were taking it seriously. And like the government was like calling up the, the Texas National Guard, not because pr- hopefully the governor didn't believe it, but because he, that he was pandering to people who actually did. And it sounds ridiculous, but like I, I, that is a there there is this sort of paranoid isolationist strain in in the U.S. that again, like anything else, it, your strengths are your weaknesses, right? And you talk about this willingness to tolerate creative destruction. And that I'm going to do it on my own and bootstrapping. Like the flip side of that is the complete unwillingness to trust anyone else, to throw your wad in with anyone else. And, uh, and it's, I guess my, that's my, my pessimism in many respects, even more deeply felt because 
the structure of American politics, uh, the way that the electoral system set up, the way that gerrymandering happens, the fact that most representatives answer to the primary electorate, not to the, the overall electorate. Um, I think fixing that would do even more than fixing the money in politics thing. I hear you, and I agree with what you just said. I mean, to be fair, I think the money in politics thing um, is it's really important from the perspective of keeping a society like fertile for disruptive innovations to take root. I, I don't think the money in politics thing matters anywhere near as much for explaining things like healthcare, which a cultural lens I think does a lot better a job of explaining. Now, that's not to say that the money in politics thing makes no difference um, in something like healthcare, I think there are a lot of companies out there that are making a bunch of money from the system staying the way it is. But just stepping back and looking at it big picture, I think that the the cultural lens mm, mm, that that provides much more explanatory power here. Whereas the money in politics thing is 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 more for the when it comes to disruptive startups fighting off incumbents. Yeah, no, I think I think that's I, I think that's totally fair. And I think you're you're right. There's multiple angles. Like the sort of obscure stuff, like the regulatory stuff, money and politics for sure. These the some of the big picture stuff where like half the country is viscerally opposed to Obamacare, which in my estimation doesn't go nearly far enough. Um yeah, that that's that gets the culture. So the way that the money in politics thing was described to me, um, where it's an issue that's um, top of mind or important enough to somebody that it will swing their vote, then you as a donor can give as much as you want to a candidate. It's not going to change the candidate's mind. Where the money in politics thing becomes a lot more insidious, a lot more effective in terms of getting a donor what they want is where it's it's a topic that that's buried somewhere in a bill or some obscure regulation or something like that where people it, it's not going to change their vote it's it's buried somewhere that's where it becomes that's where the money in politics thing really becomes much 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 more uh like it holds much more sway no it makes total sense i think in general uh it's so tempting to um it gets back to the nuance thing Right. It's so easy to look at things as averages, as as to to apply one lens to a problem when in reality there's multiple angles to it, each of which require a very different view and lens and lens to to approach it with. I think then that this is actually a pretty good segue into one of the other things that we were going to talk about, which was your unicorns piece. Yeah, it's it's interesting because um, basically here's my here's my fundamental thought thesis when it comes to all the unicorns is there a bubble or not um given the transformation that's happening and the fact that uh, i think primarily tech companies are the agents of that transformation uh i think the amount of value that is going to be created in the aggregate is massive and arguably the unicorns as a collective are undervalued but i think the vast majority of that value will be generated by just a few of them which means from from a most of them are probably overvalued. So basically, the, the 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 mean and the median are different. The median unicorn is probably over is probably overvalued. Is not going to be worth that much. The mean of unicorns is very valuable. Uh, look, that 
That makes sense. This this almost relates to the previous discussion we just had, where where the pie is getting bigger, but it's accruing to fewer and fewer people. Uh, effectively, this is what's happening in the tech world too. Yes, the pie is definitely uh, getting bigger on aggregate, and this is kind of what Andreessen Horowitz did recently, looking at this in a report on tech funding, and and it was very interesting reading. But it almost failed to take into account the nuance that you just described, which is treating the population as an average is probably not the best way to understand it. I, I think that's exactly it. I think that's why, um, in particular, I think you're going to see a real divorce in kind of the way VCs view the bubble and what's going on. And I think you've already seen this in the way people like myself or yourself see it, who look at it at more of a systemic level. Uh, because from a systemic level, I, I have a it, exceptionally difficult time saying that there's a bubble. Like the, it sounds cliche, but the world has changed. The, like the tech is reaching out beyond tech; it's going out to the broader world. There isn't any evidence of a, an uh, an outsized portion of GDP on this, or a froth frothy, you know, bit like there was in 1999. There are fundamentals that support the vast majority of of or at least in aggregate. Um, the problem for, from a VC perspective is they're not invested in every single unicorn. They're invested. They're not invested in aggregate. Exactly. And so they're looking at it from, a some of their investments may absolutely be overvalued and they're becoming more overvalued by this outside money coming in. Like the idea that, that money, uh, growth money is leaving because there's no, there's not enough tech IPOs is leaving the public markets and the private markets. Absolutely. That seems that's, it's like, that's one of those things that's so obvious. It, it's almost I don't know why even bears discussing. Um, clearly, that's the case. And what's interesting is this outside money actually has a better opportunity to spread its best widely, right? It's a very different relationship with the startup than a VC, which is very early building a relationship that's very competitive. These guys are coming in, like Fidelity is coming in, and they're just like, "Here, take some money." We have, like we have, and we have like point five. No, they like Fidelity has like one hundred and twenty three trillion dollars in their management or something. And they're taking like 0.5% of it. Like it's not going to make any difference to them, but that's what they have earmarked for high risk growth. And so the whole point of this money is to make big bets, right? You're probably going to lose it. You might get a lot back. And they're coming in like here, Uber takes some money. Here, Airbnb takes some money. Here, Postmates takes some money. Here, Lyft takes some money. Like maybe you will pull it through. And, and it's a very rational approach for these companies to take. But the VCs are getting screwed, right? Because there, there's their valuations are going up. They're getting diluted. And because they have it, it's like they're getting disrupted. Like the VCs in some respects are getting disrupted by all this relatively blind private money that's acting very rationally, but is totally upsetting the VC business model. And the VCs are very upset about this, but that doesn't mean we're in a bubble. I hadn't thought about it that way. But when you describe it like that, it makes so much sense. Uh, effectively, those guys are able to invest in a portfolio of unicorns, Yep. which given on average the returns you're seeing, it, it's completely rational for them to do so. But trying to make a bet on any one individual unicorn, it, it's extremely risky because most of the value is accruing at the very top. And the point at which you're the VC making the investment, you have no way of knowing which is going to be on top or not. Exactly, because VCs are doing their own portfolio approach, but at a much earlier level. Um, and yeah, so, so I th no, I think that that's 
that's the issue. And so you have VCs calling this dumb money and how stupid it is and, and et cetera. Um, but that's from a VC perspective. And uh, from my perspective, yeah, makes it makes a lot of sense. I can see why they're upset. But um, I don't know. I guess the big thing I, I, I mean, Bill Gurley has said like some unicorns are going to go belly up this year. Other people have reflected that. I think that's probably right. What I'm already preemptively concerned about is like the fervor in the tech press that the bubble's bursting. Look at these going under. And if we're talking about some billion dollar, like Evernote was replacing their CEO. I I wrote this week. I'm long been skeptical of their business model. Like I just don't think making, making services money off of consumers is a big business. It's a business. It's not a, I'm not sure it's a, it's a billion dollar business. So let's say let's say Evernote gets acquired for half their price or takes a haircut or whatever it might be. I don't know if that's going to happen. Let's just say it does. Uh, people are going to go nuts about it. Are you unicorn going under? It's very well known. It's very well known. It's not going to make a single difference. Like it's 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 immaterial unless unless it makes a difference from a pure like. Yeah, I mean it's it's psyche. It it, it could spark off a bear market so if if people take this as evidentiary that this was a bubble and that the bubble is now bursting then you can start a a run on confidence money starts pulling back and and you create a self-fulfilling prophecy Um, but the businesses who need capital can no longer get it so they fail which further reinforces the belief that this was a bubble that's bursting and it becomes a death spiral i mean this is the one way it could play out. It, it, it makes me wonder whether there's the possibility that the bad unicorns could end up taking the good unicorns down with them. Yeah, I, I, I see that argument. I, I think, though, the way it will play out, and um, uh, I had lunch with someone last week. I'm totally stealing this from because it, it was his estimation. I don't think I could say. Um, but is uh, I, the way I th- I th- this made a ton of sense to me is that uh, there's – this cycle is going to happen or this down cycle, this crash, if you want to even call that's going to happen. It's going to wipe out a lot of bad unicorns because they're not going to be able to raise money for all the reasons you said. But at the end of the day, Uber is going to be worth it. Airbnb is going to be worth it. SpaceX is going to be worth it. Like these are companies that are chasing infinitely defensible markets with huge network effects. Or in the case like SpaceX, just the, 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 there's a reason no one has done a space company because it's really freaking hard. Um, and you like almost of, if you look at the top 20, the vast majority of them are, are great businesses and all probably undervalued. And what's going to happen is there's going to be this run. There's gonna be all this panic. And then fidelity or TO price going to come in is going to do another investment to Uber value at 70 billion. People are like, Oh yeah, you're right. Those were a bunch of bad companies and it's going to be boom, right back, right back at it, which I think would be the rational thing to do. The analogy that, that uh, my friend made was to 1987. Um, if in retrospect, there was a bull market from basically 1980 to, to the dot-com bubble, um, like a, a 20 year bull market, you could argue to 2008. Um, but there was a big crash in 1987, which everyone has kind of forgotten about. And the reason they've forgotten about it is because in the grand scheme, it actually wasn't anything like it crashed. And then people realized, oh, there's all these crappy savings and loan companies that are, don't make any sense. And yeah, they should be washed out. And then boom, went right like the market recovered super fast. People barely even remember there was a crash that year. And I think that makes a ton of sense um, in thinking about what might or might not happen. Like I think the the structure of technology and the funding thing makes a lot of sense. Uh, I think 
that doesn't mean there's not a lot of crap floating around and ought to be flushed out. So, so it's interesting. Uh, I'm, I'm almost formulating a theoretical in- investment approach on what we're talking about right now, which is you'd, you'd wait for a few of these kind of iffy unicorns to go belly up, let the fervor hit the market around, uh-oh, here comes the crash. And then basically what I'm hearing is within not too much time, wiser heads prevail and a big investment follows in one of these companies that are actually making real dollars and people realize this is just a clearing out of the crap as opposed to uh, a bubble bursting. Uh, Here we are, we're in a crash. It's not going to be that at all. I think so. Just because the opportunities are so large. like I, I, I have a very hard time picturing a world where Airbnb can't get funding, like no matter how bearish you want to be. Because I and and I think that applies to, you know, some number of companies on the unicorn list, and those companies will make the aggregate list uh, worthwhile, even if the majority end up not being worth anything at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it was fun going down that list and drawing the line under which the good stuff starts to separate from the bad stuff. Yeah, and it, 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 I, wasn't it fascinating how the unicorn list is like a perfect power curve? Um, it, yes, totally fascinating. And it's interesting because I think there are some big ones that are problematic. Like I think Dropbox at 11 billion is a little, that makes a little nervous. Spotify at 8 billion. Um, but then you get, there are some stuff down low, like Slack at 2 billion or 3 billion, whatever it is. Like, um, yeah, I mean, that that's still growing. Right, right. No, exactly. My point is like, you can't just chop off the head and that's the value. Like spread out in here, there are like, there's there's some really amazing companies and i think i think they will be different stages of maturity yep that makes total sense not everyone on the list is at the same level of maturity so so to draw an arbitrary line and everything below that is crap again talking about this on average just never does it justice you need to understand the details that sit behind it and those examples you provided are a great reminder of that. Cool. Well, um, well, this is good. I, I, this is why I missed having the podcast because I think I just articulated my position much better than I actually wrote it. Um, and I will, I will miss having that. So maybe, maybe we'll end up having more than I think just cause I'll be very frustrated at my, uh, my, my inability to articulate what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I'm totally happy to needle you while you're on holiday. I'm just not sure you're going to want me to do yeah. it. No, it, honestly, it's just a pure, um, We'll see for for what I'm gonna do. So last year, what uh, uh, basically what I'm doing is uh, last year when I was on, I took like a, a week off in July and I did like the strengths, uh, weaknesses, opportunities, threats for like four or five tech companies, um, and which was very popular. People really liked it. Uh, did that for the daily update. I'm gonna do the same thing this year, but I'm just gonna run them every Friday, um, and so I'm actually working on them now. And uh, and unfortunately, Thursdays we usually record. Fridays when we edit. Um, and we'll see. Uh, it's just gonna, it, like I said, not being at home, being a different schedule, moving around. It's just gonna be really hard to schedule in the, you know. No, no, no. I, I get it. I feel guilty. I feel bad. <laughs> so, so, people listening, if if you want Ben to keep doing Exponent while he's on holiday, please email him. No, and say, don't, don't. Ben, please keep doing. I'm, ar- I'm already conflicted. <laughs> I'm feel joking, bad, um, but. I was just relishing the thought of all those emails arriving in your already flooded inbox. No, and then I feel guilty. I hate feeling guilty. I'm so good at it. (laughs) You hear that, everybody? He hates (laughs) feeling guilty. Stop. Stop. (laughs) 
<laughs> this is why I have to edit. This is why it takes me so long to edit. Cause I have to cut out all this crap. <laughs> all right. Sounds good. Uh, well, enjoy your trip to New York. Um, uh, Very good. Sure is thrilling. It, aren't work trips from the West Coast to New York fun? You can't fall asleep, and then you wake up for a 8 a.m. meeting. Uh, it was awful. And uh, United, well, I don't, I don't know if it was entirely United's fault or the weather, but, I, you know, by the time I got in this morning and got to bed, it was like 3 a.m., and you have a big thing the next day where you need to be on top of your game, and you're like, uh, I don't know. I, there was a lot of coffee involved required to get me there. Oh, well, the, the, the first world problems that we suffer. Yep, I, I know. I deserve No, I, we collectively, I, we collectively, totally deserve I, wasn't, I wasn't trying to focus it on you. All right, sounds good. I will talk to you soon. Sounds good, mate. See ya. All right, bye-bye.